0: Well, inevitably, as I can't really talk about the tiger who came to tea or any of the mogs, I'm going to talk about my difficult childhood, which wasn't difficult. I was going to call it my difficult childhood, the book, but my husband said he thought when Hitler stole a pink rabbit would be a, big, a much better title, and he was dead right. I've lived in this country nearly all my life, but I didn't start here. Until the age of nine, I was a perfectly normal or fairly normal German child. We lived in Berlin, my family were all German. Uh, They were also Jews, but um, not at all religious. So when my brother and I were asked about our religion, uh, we used to say what we'd been told, which was, we are free thinkers, which from seven and five-year-olds came as a bit of surprise to people. (laughs) My father was a writer. He wrote mostly in newspapers, but also books. Um, He was a bit like Bernard Levin or A. A. Gill in that, People read him, he wrote a lot about the theatre, but people read him who had no intention of going to see any of the plays. They just read him because he was very witty and they liked the way he used words. He wrote uh, not only about the theatre and his travels, he wrote about anything that was going on. And one of the things, of course, that was going on uh, 78 years ago, was the Nazis. He saw the danger very early on, and so he warned against them and uh, mocked them, and it was very funny at, about them, uh, which of course they hated. So much so that um, uh, quite early on, I think in 1932, They published a list of people they said they would stand up against a wall and shoot when they came to power. And, of course, my father was one of the first on the list. I had no idea of any of this. I mean, I was sort of thinking about school and drawing things and, you know, things nine-year-olds think about. Well, almost... Exactly 78 years ago in February 1933, my father was in bed with flu when a complete stranger rang him up and warned him that the Nazis who weren't yet in power but that they were trying to take away his passport. Um, He was quite ill but uh, he immediately got up and caught the next train out of Germany. And then my mother didn't know quite what to do because uh, they hadn't even had time to talk. So in the end, she didn't dare telephone him because the Nazis might have been listening to calls, especially international ones. So in the end, she went and joined him just for a few hours. And my father said, I want you all out of Germany before the elections, which were, of course, the elections which brought." Hitler to power. And it has to be secret. Um, They must not know that I've gone and they must not know that you're going to join me. By this time, I think it was less than two weeks till the elections. My mother somehow managed it to organize everything. My brother and I found it quite difficult because uh, People kept asking us about my father because, you know, people liked him. And uh, we couldn't say that he'd gone away. We used to say um, he's, um, he's still got flu, It was just quite difficult. And we didn't tell anyone. We were leaving just on the last day, uh, I went up to this, my teacher at the school and said, um, I won't be coming to school tomorrow. Uh, We're going to Switzerland uh, for my father's health, which was, in fact, we were going to meet him. So that's what we did. Uh, My father didn't want us to catch the big express from Berlin to Zurich. because he thought people might be watching it. Uh, So we went instead to Stuttgart and took a little milk train about five o'clock in the morning, which stopped everywhere, but did get to um, Zurich in the end. And this is where I did this terrible thing, which almost finished us all. When we got to the frontier and the man came to inspect our passports. My mother had said not a word when the passport inspector comes. And he looked at our passports and stamped them. And as he went out of the compartment, I was inspired to say, well, nothing's happened. Uh, But my mother threw me such a look, a terrible, terrible look. And so I stopped and the man went out And the train went on, and we got safely to Zurich. But um, I can never forget what I almost did to my family. But my father was waiting for us in Zurich, and um, he told me afterwards, much later, that the 20 minutes or so that he spent on the platform waiting for us to arrive were the worst 20 minutes of his life. I'm going to take this off so that I can see it, because I don't know where I've got it. Uh-huh. How long have I had? Nobody's going to tell me. <laughs> um, so there we were in Switzerland, so I went to the village school where I learned to speak the Swiss dialect, which is called Schweizerdeutsch. And just to give you an idea of what it was like, uh, the word I was particularly good at saying was Hochechestle, which means biscuit tin. <laughs> I don't think I learned anything else much. But the Swiss were rather keen not to upset Hitler, and so um, they weren't very keen on publishing my father either. By this time, they had no money, um, no money from Germany, of course, from his publisher or his newspaper. And so uh, we went to Paris because my father could speak perfect French and write French. And anyway, it was lovely. Uh, I loved Paris. I immediately liked it. I liked the way it looked and the food and the climate. And I went to school, a French primary school, and learned to speak French, which, when you're 10 years old, isn't that difficult. Um, And I loved learning French, because if you come from German and then you learn French, you discover that a a German sentence this length can be translated into a French sentence this length. (laughs) And this is exhilarating. I loved it. I loved it all so much so that once um, we were living in this rather grotty little apartment, very high up, uh, but you could see, uh, high up was cheaper, you see. Uh, You could see across a lot of rooftops and you could even see a bit of the Arc de Triomphe. My father and I were looking out at this one night when it was all sparkling and I said to him, isn't it wonderful being a refugee? (laughs) Which I suppose cheered him up because, uh, in fact, it was terribly difficult for my parents. Uh, They were marvelous because they made us feel that it was an adventure, my brother and me, and we never quite understood how awful it was for them because, of course, all our stuff had been confiscated. Uh, They had no money. Uh, They'd lost everything. But then this incredible thing happened Uh, just when it seemed absolutely terrible. My father had written a film script and nobody wanted it and then suddenly Alexander Corder, who was the king of films in England, bought it. And uh, we had money and so we came to England of course. (laughs) Well, um, the film was never made. Uh, and of course, it's in the nature of films never to be made, but um, we wondered afterwards whether he really ever meant to make it or whether he was just helping us. In any case, it saved our lives for a second time because if we'd stayed in France, uh, the Germans would have got us in the war. Well, England was quite different. I think the one thing that struck us most about it was the incredible kindness and tolerance of the people and the help we got. Everybody helped us. They helped my brother and me with scholarships. During the war, we were in London during the Blitz and people were being killed right and left. And my parents by then still had German accents. By then, my brother and I could speak English like anybody else. Nobody ever said anything unkind to him, uh, to to them rather, to my parents. Uh, They had this marvelous sort of category. Um, There were categories for aliens. London was full of foreigners. There were friendly aliens those were the french and the poles and the russians and then there were enemy aliens they were the germans and the italians and then there were people like us who were enemy aliens really because we were german but we were known to be anti-nazi so there was this very special category which was friendly enemy aliens (laughs) I mean, I think it was worth coming to England just for that. (laughs) I don't know how much longer I've got. Right. Um, Well, after the war, which we survived, we were bombed out, but it was all right. Nobody got hurt. Uh, After the war, suddenly for my brother Michael and myself, the world was open, everything was possible. My brother went to Cambridge and became a great lawyer, I went to art school and married my husband, I was very happy for a very long time and drew a lot of cats. But one can never, I can never forget, and none of people like me can ever forget, the six million people who would have given anything to have just a tiny part of the extraordinarily happy lives we had. My parents never belonged anywhere. Their lives were Destroyed, I suppose. But they both always felt a huge gratitude, as I do, of course, to this country. My father couldn't really speak English. He had a bad time here. My mother went out to work doing secretarial work, which she hated. But this country, the things they did for us, they never forgot. So much so, that when the war was over, somebody said to my father, look, you can't speak English, Um, you don't much like the food here, um, or the climate. Why don't you just go back and live in France? And he said, because if I did that, I would have to take the entire English population with me. Thank you.